Welcome to Detoxicity. This is a podcast in which I try to change the narrative around masculinity a little bit and allow some progressive voices and some interesting voices, diverse voices, to come into the picture. My name is Mike Joseph. I host and produce this show, and I thank you very, very much for listening and for supporting from the bottom of my heart. It means a lot. Now, if you enjoy this podcast, I hope that you are subscribing to it. If you aren't, please press the subscribe button on wherever it is you're listening to it, and uh, that way you'll get episodes on demand when they come, uh, which is usually on Wednesday mornings. I also certainly ask that you uh, spread the word. Uh, please rate the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen. Um, make sure you leave a comment if you have something nice to say or if you have something constructive to say. It doesn't all have to be nice. And by all means, tell your friends, tell anyone who you think might get some creative juice or inspirational juice or just would uh, you'd like to listen to this please spread the word uh, however you can i am on social media if you would like to follow me i am on instagram at detox pod guy uh, my twitter is on hiatus for a little bit it will come back but it is tis mike joseph feel free to follow me on either of those platforms there is also facebook.com slash detoxicity and if you have a comment you can email me detoxpod at gmail.com I am always on the lookout for new guests, so if you know somebody who you think has an interesting story to tell or something to add to the overall conversation around detoxifying masculinity, please reach out to me via any of those platforms, and certainly if you yourself would like to be a part of this podcast, please reach out, let me know. Once again, I thank you for listening. Well, here we are, episode 100 of Detoxicity. Thanks to everyone who listens to this podcast, whether you're an old listener or a new listener, or you've gone away and come back a couple of times. I appreciate the fact that you take the time out of your schedule to listen to this. Um, I'm stealing this piece here, but you have many entertainment options in your life, and I am very pleased that out of all the entertainment options in existence, you take the time to spend half an hour or 45 minutes or an hour here listening to this. It is uh, uh, it not taken lightly at all. And for episode 100, I wanted to do th something special, and I had a few different ideas in my head. But the most important thing to me was to bring back somebody that I enjoy having a conversation with, somebody that I have history with, and somebody that would not shy away from asking difficult questions or talking about difficult topics. And uh, I had Garrett Gonzalez on way back in the beginning. I think he was episode three or four. And Garrett and I have been friends for 20 years now. We actually met on the internet back in 2002. We talk a little bit about that at the beginning of our conversation here. And even though we live on opposite coasts of this, of this country, we have maintained a relationship for that long. We still have a bond all this time later because of mutual respect, because we're not afraid to ask each other tough questions. We're not afraid to say things that may occasionally hurt the other person's feelings. Uh, it's a relationship really based on honesty and love and truth. And uh, I really appreciate him agreeing to come on and ask some more questions uh, and answer some questions for episode 100. And we talk about a, a few different things here. We talk about how reliable your memory is when thinking about your past. We talk about childhoods and uh, sort of the childhood memory thing. Uh, we go back to parenting, which is a topic that uh, Garrett and I discussed during our first episode together as uh, when we talked two years ago 
he was about to get married for the second time and take on uh, three bonus children. And now a couple of years later, we check in and see how he's uh, doing in that role and how it differs from him being the uh, birth dad to his two kids, to his other two kids. And um, we also address the slap. And, um, you know, Garrett and I, our, our friendship initially began as a result of pop culture. And uh, we were both huge fans of Will Smith and Chris Rock, in addition to many other uh, actors and singers and, and performers and athletes. Uh, but uh, the slap could not go unaddressed. Actually, it could have, but I'm glad it didn't. Anyway, uh, I hope you enjoyed this conversation, and uh, hopefully there will be more down the line soon with Garrett. I enjoyed talking to him quite a bit. Here we go. Episode right. 100. So this episode is going to be one of the first times that I have brought back someone who appeared on an earlier show. And I'm excited to do this because uh, Double G, I don't even know if you know this, but 2022 marks 20 years of us knowing one another. Yeah, I was trying to think. I was trying to do the math in, in the back of my head because my work years, working in tech, start from early 2000. But there's some time in there where I start working for Epinions, which is where we meet. But mm-hmm. then I leave and then I go back. So you and I connected before I even started working there. Again, I'd already left and I was just a normal member. But then I go back, I think, in 2003 and I go back to work for them. So it's right in the middle of that time. Oh, wow. I didn't remember that part, but uh, I joined probably February or March of 2002. And you must have been one of the first people that I I came into contact with there. So right around now, as we're recording this, I mean, theoretically, it could be 20 years to the day. Who knows? uh, (laughs) It is. uh, We are right around the 20th anniversary of us knowing one another. And I find that so interesting because you were one of the first friends that I met on the internet and that we've been able to maintain this relationship despite living on completely opposite sides of the country for this long. It, it was the, the time, though, the, the dawn of what people will call Web 2.0, where you could really create relationships because it wasn't, if you go back to the early days of the internet, you know, you had uh, a message board, Mm-hmm. Right. And it was an avatar of people going back and forth. And if you wanted to dip out at any point, you could dip out. And people were like, oh, what happened to that guy? But then an opinions was a big part of this because it was one of the first Web 2.0 companies in which you could write something and I could comment directly on what you wrote mm. and we could have engagement that way. And so that's a big part of these communities being created, these friendships being created, the second level of the internet sort of allowed for it. And now, you know, there's so many different ways to connect. People have created entire businesses on connecting people like us. Yes. Internationally, even. So we were kind of at the forefront of that. We were. Yeah, I just find it incredibly interesting from two perspectives. One, just that it's been that long. 20 years feels like a long time. And uh, I mean, it is, but also just the fact that we've been able to sort of maintain constant contact over two decades for two people who met on something that was a very early progenitor of what social media has come to be. 
I kind of liked it better that way, right? Yeah, things are different now, man. It's, it's, uh... it, 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 it was safer, I feel like. Mm-hmm. The, the, you know, we did have whatever instant messenger, whatever we were using at the same time. It wasn't just communicating on Ethan. That's true. But, That's true. But yeah, if you think about all the things that have changed in the last 20 years, we have both, because we're almost exactly the same age. Yep. And we have kind of gone through them while not together, but on the same timeline, sort of all these different transitions with the internet and with society. And it's been interesting to to do that with somebody who is the same age as me and shares a lot of the same likes and, and hobbies. Like the thing that connected us was just writing about music. But, you know, then as you get to know each other, you notice that, oh, there's so many other things that are similar about us that can connect us as well. But music was really the first thing. Yes. And it continues to to be that way, even all of these years later. And, and neither of us is writing about music anymore. I mean, no. You got this whole empire <laughs> of, of, of things that you do. And I, I'm, I'm impressed. It's funny because if you asked me, probably not too long before I met you, what I would have wanted to do with my career... It wouldn't have been in the internet because who really knows where that was going to go? In yeah, the no one 2000s. knew what that was. Yeah, what I wanted to do was I wanted to do broadcasting. I wanted to be in sports, talking about them. And when I was, gosh, this would have been probably 1998. I'm going to say, I, I had an internship at the biggest sports radio station in the Bay Area. It's like literally the the only one that mattered at the time. Now there's two. And I remember when you have to do this internship. So in order to graduate, I had to have, I don't know how many hours, a semester of hours at working at the internship and then get this little certificate signed off that says I did it. And I didn't want to do hard news. I didn't want to do anything but sports. So I put all my eggs in one basket for this radio station. And if I wouldn't have gotten the internship, I would have had to push graduation back a, a half a semester or a, a full semester. Oh, wow. I was so stubborn, but I think it was mostly out of fear that I just didn't want to do the other things. So I just kind of like crossed my fingers and and hoped for the best. And I got it and, and it worked. But when I realized what radio was like and when I realized how the business of sports talk radio worked, I was like, OK, like. The internship is great, but there's no way to work here because everybody who works here is going to be working here in 10 years. It's just the way that it works. Mm. And at some point, gosh, it was probably like maybe it was 10 years ago. I went back and I looked at all of the hosts uh, of those shows and I think it was everybody was there when I was there with like the exception of one. So my prediction, my reason for getting out of radio was right on the money. Wow. So now, like I said, technology has advanced. So I can kind of do this on my own with podcasting and grow your own thing. And it's so much different for me than radio would have been, too, because I can't listen to radio. Uh, radio is five minutes of stuff and then we got to throw to commercial for three minutes and then you come back right. and it's eight minutes of talk and the, <laughs> the whole thing is these hosts are talking so fast because they know they got to get to the commercials and they want to get their stuff in and i'm like no that's why 
you can do something like what we're doing right now, which is a long form conversation. And I have ads in my shows, but they're at the beginning, at the end, and maybe like a couple in the middle. But this is not something that you and I have to think about when we do a show, which is, okay, in the back of my mind, I got to throw to Lee's hardware store and and then there's going to be some commercials. So the, it's just a passion of mine has always been to talk on on a microphone about sports. And it's been a lot of fun to create that because of my knowledge of also tech stuff and er, early startup stuff. You know, no one's making any money here, really. But right. it, it's something that I feel really proud of building and doing it with a bunch of people and helping these people who you know, that maybe they didn't have the big dream of mine, but they always, in the back of their mind, they're like, I can do this. But they didn't really have the avenue to do so. So creating that avenue for those people to do it as well is kind of what I enjoy the most about having, you know, podcast network. I like that idea. You've always been a big believer in community. And I just love, again, that you've set up this kind of empire of things that you do in all of these people who work with you, for you, however you want to frame it. And it's just, it's something to kind of look back on and, and just be, you know, I mean, I'm proud of it and I'm not part of it. So <laughs> I, I hope that you are proud of it as well. So the pride that I get is out of the work and out of seeing other people get stuff out of it and out of it growing ever so slightly. My wife will probably wish that I wouldn't give up the little money that that I earned to just put it right back into uh, <laughs> services and stuff. She probably <laughs> hopes that at some point you could probably cash out some of this stuff. But it's really the the journey for me and as, you know, something that we'll probably talk about. You and I now, you know, we're going to hit our year 46 here in in, in about 5 yeah, weeks, man. 5 and a half weeks. What is it about for us now? You know, we probably have more years in our rear view than we have ahead, ahead of us. Of us. Mm -hmm. And so how do you get fulfillment in your mid 40s? I'm, I'm newly married, so that that's a big part of it. I have young kids, but that isn't even as big of a part of it as it was 10 years ago when my own children were young because you're very active with them. But now they're adults. And so now I play more of a support role slash check in on them slash <laughs> create opportunities to communicate with them that are doing things that they enjoy. I did raise them with my ex-wife, but we weren't in the same house for most of it. Like, you know, 60% of their childhood was spent with us in different households. And now with my wife and, and my stepkids being in the same house and doing the child stuff is so different because she is by trade she's a child psychologist so she really understands parenting at a high level and so i'm just there like if i need to give a stern look or if i need to tell them like it's really for the boys because the boys are 12 going on 13 and it's kind of like you know, that's mom, a rough time, man. Yeah, it, it, it's not the greatest, but <laughs> and it has nothing to do with them because they're good kids. They're really good kids. It has to do with the age. Like you remember what 12 and 13 was like. Yeah. Just a, yeah. Whole, a whole ball of uncertainty and trying to have confidence and trying not to get 
picked on and making sure you have status. And it's like this weird time in life. And so my role with them is is really like, okay, you were your mom's firstborn twins. You gave her the opportunity to be a mom. She's a little light on you in this thing, but come on, let's smarten up here. But they're all good kids and it's been a blast, but it's just different. It's less stressful for me um, when it's both of us together because outside of the time when they were with their mom, I, I had lots of me time, but when they were with me, I had to really focus on them. So it was like just the splitting of time. And now I can kind of do everything at once and I don't have to take time away from doing podcasts because the kids are here. It's so different right. now. And I'm a better parent, obviously, from having had to do it. Now this is the second time. Think about this. I've been a parent since 1999. Oh, man. So I've been a parent for 23 years, which is exactly going to be your half life. of my life. Uh, yeah. You know, really soon. Wow. That blows my mind, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I would imagine it blows yours too. So I was talking about this with some friends last night, just the idea of 20 years or 23 years or whatever it is. When I was a kid, 20 years just seemed like this insurmountable long period of time. It felt like the difference between color and black and white, you know? Yeah. And now it's kind of like, oh, I can remember exactly what I was doing or where I was 20 years ago. It, it feels like maybe not necessarily yesterday, but it feels not too far removed from yesterday. You see those uh, memes out there where they're like the Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears when they were hot. That was 20 years ago. And if you think about 20 years before them. It was like something crazy right. where it just like freaks your mind out. You're like, whoa, that, that's such a long time to think about. But because we have so much information and the way that we think about time and the way the internet works and the way TV, we have all of these things to do that kind of speed up our conscience. Mm -hmm. Let's say when you and I were kids, we're watching Cosby, A Different World, Cheers, Night Court, that, that two-hour block on NBC. Right, on Thursdays, yeah. And that was what we would look forward to. And then we would watch different stuff during the day. But if you thought about how much content is out there today, you could literally do that every night on your own through a Netflix or through a streaming and never run out. It's just this endless yeah. supply. When Cosby was done with their season and then we had to watch reruns, we were like, ah, reruns. But yeah. it's going to be the only time I see this episode ever again, so I might as well watch it. And now, if you wanted to, if you had the DVDs, you could watch these episodes as many times as you want. So I feel like when we were younger, time went by a little bit more slowly because yep. we didn't have everything right in front of us constantly just entertaining us. Like the, the whole job of... All of these devices is literally to entertain us. That's what we're paying all this money is to have this pacifier of content for us so that we don't get bored. It's amazing, man. I have conversations with people about just buying music. Like I, I watched a documentary on PM Dawn earlier this week, and I was thinking back to when their first album came out in 1991. 
And I went to Sam Goody in a mall and paid whatever, $6.99, $7.99 for the tape. And A, had to save up because back in those days, I was getting maybe, maybe $10 a week in allowance, if that. I think it was usually like five. And taking this tape and just playing the mess out of it so that mm-hmm. I knew every word because there wasn't this vast array of music that was at my disposal. It was whatever I had in my collection, plus whatever happened to play on the radio, which you had no heads up on. If you heard a song that you liked on the radio, you had to run upstairs and get a blank tape (laughs) and tape the song off the radio or whatever it was. But now it's, and I I don't want to sound like the old guy because I'm not afraid of technology at all, but the ability to pull up whether you use Apple Music or Spotify or Tidal or, or whatever it is, People to use pull Tidal? up. I, I allegedly, I actually know one person who uses Tidal. Why do they <laughs> use Tidal? Because it's double the price, isn't it? It's the audio file sound. So if you have like a giant stereo system and you want to play it through there, like it's the best subscription that's, I have or something. That's what they say. I don't know <laughs> if I believe that because I've been listening to music for a really long time and it's like I can tell the difference between a shitty boombox yeah. and a, a stereo system, but I can't tell the difference between a $100 stereo system and a $1,000 stereo system. Like, you know what it is also is our ears are a little bit less judgy, I would say, because a lot of the times we listen to stuff is through these small speakers on our phone. So right. if you listen to a lot of stuff on there, then when you put some headphones on, no matter what the quality of the volume is, you're going to be like, oh, this just sounds a lot better than what I'm Yeah, it sounds great. We normalized what our expectation is on listening to audio. I listen to most of my podcasts just through my phone because I'm walking around the house. Sometimes I'll throw it up on our home pod, just more for volume than for quality. But yeah, I think having the phone has like lowered our expectations of what quality audio is because we all grew up with our parents having the the sound system or whatever the stereo <laughs> system yeah and I learned at a very young age how all of that high end quality stuff worked and it was cool but I don't have this giant stereo equipment so it, right. it's just not yeah. as as much of a priority yeah I have a sound bar but also I live in a New York City apartment so it's not like I even if I wanted to and I really don't I couldn't have a big hi fi stereo system because my neighbors would get pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be about that life. And I'm sure I also have some ear damage just from 40 years of listening to music and 25 years of going to shows and what have you. But uh, I can't really tell the difference once you start stepping all the way up. So I have the I have an Apple Watch and it has okay. a, a loud noise environment trigger and it will notify me on my wrist if the decibels in wherever I am are too loud and then I need to chill out a little bit because it, it could hurt my hearing. Where and are you? Where? I mean, what type of situations are you in where it's that loud? So if I'm in the gym mm. or something and it'll say, you know, this is probably a little bit too loud. You need to lower it. Or like I was at the new edition concert, I don't know, probably like a month ago now. And it triggered the thing. And I was like, oh, great. Not like I can ask, you know, Ronnie and, and Bobby. <laughs> can you turn, turn that down, down a little bit? Turn it down a little bit. Like it's triggering my watch. But yeah, they have that, you know, because 
when we're growing up, we're just throwing stuff on loud because, you know, that's how you had the most fun with it. But yeah, probably because we listen to so much music in general, you have some degradation of, of hearing loss yeah. or, or whatever. Yeah. Oh, so, man. so originally the idea for this show was for me to kind of pick your brain a little bit, interview yeah. you. Um, yeah. Because you do all of the interviewing. And I like that because I am an interviewer myself. So I like you are. picking brains. And I feel like this may need to be more than one show and we'll really get deep into some stuff. But I had a thought the other day, and this did not come just to me. But mm-hmm. so I, I was thinking about how our memories are a little bit of a defense mechanism in the way to make us not feel bad about ourselves in certain scenarios. And what made me think about this is, have you ever heard the podcast called Serial? Yes, I've heard of it. I've never actually listened to it. Okay, so in episode one, the narrator and producer, she did all the work. Her name is Sarah Koenig. And so she's trying to say that in Baltimore of 1999, this very popular high school senior female, she just disappeared. And then the finger pointing went on the ex-boyfriend. And so the ex-boyfriend gets fingered for murder. He's been in jail for X number of years. And here we are at this point, I think it was 20 years when the podcast came out from trying to go back and figure out what happened. And so she says, you know, it's 20 years later. How does anybody remember? And and do our memories serve? Can can we trust them really, right? Can we trust something that is 20 years ago in our brains as how we remember that thing happening? Because I was thinking about certain scenarios to sort of protect our own emotional health. There's stuff that we've forget about because if we think about it it triggers us for 20 seconds to feel poorly about ourselves right sure and i think that happens a lot if you think about what you want to remember in certain scenarios we want to remember things that make us feel good about ourselves that we did something good that that we made the right choice and the right judgment in that moment and i was kind of thinking can memories be biased they're not a accurate reflection as we know because there are scenarios in which two people can have the same experience and have different records of what actually happened so you know you think of things that have happened in our childhood things that maybe we've had to go to therapy about and as we remember them do you think we remember them more poorly or less poorly based on how they make us feel or how we want to be seen in those scenarios? I think there are a couple of ways you can look at that. I think everybody experiences their own truth. So even if you look at a situation where maybe, you know, I was mistreated by my parents and my parents are going to view that situation differently from the way I viewed that situation. So everybody's got their own truth. Now, I guess the second part of that is that time will definitely skew the memories in a certain way. And, and you know, 
just as human beings who have uh, finite levels of, of memory, you're going to forget certain specifics about particular situations and really just focus on how those situations in a broader sense made you feel. So I, I do think that the specifics of some things absolutely fade with time. And unless you are a super, super critical person, your view of what happened is always going to suit you. It's going to favor you. And is that a defense? Is that a survival mechanism? I guess it is, is what my question is. Do we not have the ability as people to look at a scenario where we may have been just as wrong as we were right and go, I am okay with this. I am being unbiased towards what I did. And I'm fine with this exact memory the way that it was. I, don't, I feel like we lessen the negative and maybe lean a little bit more towards the positive only because how we want to remember this is in more of a positive light than a negative light. Because if we do remember it, and we remember it more negative, that's going to trigger us and that's going to give us an emotional response that maybe we don't want to deal with. I don't think that's always the case. I think it depends on how self-critical you are. I, I can certainly think of many situations in which I was the asshole or maybe not even necessarily that I was the asshole, but everybody in the situation was the asshole. It wasn't like this person did something bad and I was good. It's not that binary. Yeah. I, I do think that there are other people who are very much will rejigger situations in their heads to always make them look good. But I think there are people who are self-aware enough to acknowledge when they may have played a part in wrongdoing. And thinking about fucked up shit that I did does trigger me, but I, I'm, I'm used to those feelings. And even though they're uncomfortable, I deal with them. I don't try to block them out of my head. I would like to think that I am self-aware enough that, that I can take responsibility for things that I've done and continue to do because, you know, I, I got a lot of work to do still. Yeah. And I guess where does that come from, though? Are we born naturally with those skills? Is that something you learned in therapy or in other exercises as you deal with scenarios in which you're trying to grow yourself as a human being? Because we both have done a lot of self-care kind of things to learn mm -hmm. more about ourselves as, as people and to try to gain some perspective uh, of certain things. Because that sounds like a skill that you have created for yourself because you do want to become a better person. Yeah, I think that is a skill that's acquired. I don't think it's something that you're born with. I think human nature is really just to, this is going to sound terrible, human nature is always to see yourself as the victim. Yes. And the big bad world out there is always the perpetrator. And Look, for a variety of reasons, I there are plenty of times that I have seen myself in that victim role. Self-awareness is just like, I have not always been the victim. I have perpetrated a lot of the behavior that with hindsight and time and learning and therapy and growth that I would not do anymore. Like I can bring back to a very specific situation. When I was 18, I was working at Tower Records and I was very much in the closet 
and I didn't want anybody to know. And I basically made up a story that I was seeing a female employee and we were going out, that we were sleeping together and it was completely a lie. And she called me out on it after a certain point, which was a very uncomfortable confrontation for both of us. And I got in quite a bit of trouble. It was the first time I'd ever heard of HR, human HR. resources. Yeah. They call, it, they call it the people team now. Yeah. I, yeah. My job now is called people experience. But, uh, you know, I got suspended. I got transferred. I, I lost a friendship. I lost the respect of quite a few people. And I don't think I ever really felt victimized through that situation. I was 150% in the wrong. And, and that situation taught me a lot about you know, I, I talk a lot about authenticity now. That situation is ultimately what I think brought me out of the closet, but also it just taught me a lot about how to treat people, how to treat women in particular. And to this day, I mean, this was 1994, so this is 28 years ago. Mm -hmm. I still will put my hand up and say that that was very, very wrong of me to do. I can also say I was a kid and didn't know any better. Yeah. Well, I guess that, so, so that's, that was what I was going to follow up with is right. how much of it is that memory of you uh, you using as a reminder or even may maybe like a punishment in a sense and how much of it is you going okay i was young and i was stupid i've learned from that i'm going to give myself the benefit of the doubt and not remember that as such a negative thing i'm now going to remember it as a, a positive thing that i created out of a negative thing ultimately it was a positive thing because uh, had I gotten away with it, I could have done it again in situations where stakes were higher. I could have lost a lot more. And ultimately, what that did is it really caused me to sit down with myself and take inventory and realize that it wasn't worth the, or at least set me on the path because it took some time to figure all of this out. Realize that it wasn't worth it to to put other people in that situation. But at the same time, it's like, all right, I'm going to give myself a little slack because I was young and didn't know any better. And also because I was trying to protect myself Yes, in a way. So it, it's complicated and I'm not going to make excuses for something bad that I did, but there are also reasons why I did this bad thing. So I, I think there's a lot of nuance behind that stuff. Now, if I was doing that shit now at 46 years old, that's a problem because we all know better because the world is different. We are now well aware of what constitutes sexual harassment and why mm -hmm. people should not be sexually harassed. But in 1994, at the age of 17, 18, you know, it was kind of a different story. And I'm willing to give myself, I'll cut myself a little bit of slack for it. And also, obviously, 30 years after the fact, I know a lot better. We hear that a lot. The world is different. Mm -hmm. And I believe the world has definitely evolved, but I would say more so expectations of how we act, of, of what makes a good person, even though that's a generalized term. <laughs> because I would imagine that a lot of the stuff that we have learned in, in our day and age, that stuff existed in the 60s. It just wasn't expected. Right. It's like treating women correctly, that happened. 
it just wasn't as expected because maybe the woman's voice wasn't able to be loud enough. But I think about that a lot and I go, man, so what we're saying is the world that was 50 years ago is just a bunch of sexual abuser jackasses and today <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't all madmen right but but i get i just this that it almost is like we're giving behavior uh, uh a benefit of the doubt from 50 years ago 60 years ago and i'm not sure if that's necessarily true i i feel like maybe we shouldn't have given the benefit of the doubt to how stuff happened in the 60s and people go oh well it was a different time should it have been a different time or were people just allowed to behave poorly because of whoever was in, in power, which I'm, and I'll say it right now because it's always who were in power, white males, right? So like white males create the experience for everybody else because they're in power and control. And I feel like maybe we should look a little deeper into those roots and not always go, well, it was a different time. I, again, I think there's nuance to all of that. And I, I think, how can I explain this? It's another like long story that's going to lead to a point. I'm a hip hop <laughs> fan, right? As, as you are. Yes. Uh, and every now and then I'll put on a record and somebody will use the word faggot. Yes. And that happened <clears throat> a lot in the early 90s. And I am more willing to give somebody who made a record in 1991 or 1992 or 1988 who used that word a pass for using that word than I would be for somebody like Eminem who continues to use that word to this day. Because it's like there's more conversation about all this stuff and it's widely accepted. You know, look, I can remember being a kid and adults were throwing that word around all over the place like it was nothing. Yeah. And there wasn't this big conversation, at least where I came from, about how that's a disrespectful term to use. When I was in high school, we definitely called women bitches and hoes. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I think there is just a lot more knowledge and sensitivity now than there was... Even 20 years ago, at least there should be. I guess I can really only speak for myself. I know a lot more now than I did then. And I'm also a lot more of an empathetic person now than I was then. And life experience has, has taught me to be more of an empathetic person. I think in the 60s and, and 70s and 80s and probably 90s too. Before the internet, before a lot of these, you know, the playing field has become a lot more equalized. But don't you think using that word... And also using gay as a pejorative, right? That comes from power and control part, though, don't you think? Picking a specific word that we know is hurtful to others and then using it as a way to say something negative, that's like a power thing, right? Like, I don't understand this and thus I hate it. It's a power thing, but what I've come to realize is that a lot of times it's also an insecurity thing. Right. And the people who throw those words around generally, I, and I'm, I'm making a, a wide statement here that may not always be the case, are either insecure about something within themselves or they just don't have the benefit of being able to think critically. Like they know what they've been taught and they stick 
to those beliefs of what they've been taught and have not put themselves in situations where they interact regularly with people who are not like themselves. Mm -hmm. So they don't have a chance to broaden their minds or broaden their horizons at all. So why would someone as talented, famous as Eminem continue to use that word? That's a good fucking question, Garrett. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I wish I knew because there's really no excuse for it now. It might just be because he knows that people are going to talk about it. And if people talk about you, whether they talk good or talk bad about you, for some people, it doesn't matter what people are saying about you as long as they are saying something about you. Mm -hmm. And for him, it's like more records, more concert tickets. And despite him being a wealthy 50-year-old white man, I think there is some of him that is still trying to appeal to that kind of disenfranchised trailer park kid that he was when he was growing up. Do you think it's interesting in that he, I, I feel like he still wants to please or the population he is trying to please so badly ever since he started was the African-American hip hop community. Like that was a big thing for him. I think there's maybe like one recording of him younger dropping an N-bomb or something. Yeah, yeah. He, he's specifically been like, I, that's not who I am. Yet, at the same time, there's this other community that he seems to not really care that, that he does that with. That It's kind of a weird thing to me. Yeah, it's a weird thing to me too. But the thing about... Eminem specifically that I really dislike is that he always punches down. Like if you're going to be a shit starter, if you're going to be a disruptor, if you're going to be a troublemaker, punch at your weight or punch above your weight. Don't always punch below your weight. And everybody that he's ever like gone after, maybe with the exception of like Ja Rule, mm -hmm. um, has always been like a pop singer or a woman, Mariah Carey or Christina Aguilera, or the gay community or whatever it is. He just constantly punches down and as much as he made raps that diss donald trump or whatever he comes from kind of the same place mm -hmm. where you're trying to just stand on top of everything and you're going to punch down at every other entity that is trying to make progress in the world do you remember it may have been something on bt it was some award show and he came out in a, in a cipher and he spit some rhymes about donald trump and Everybody in my Facebook timeline, who not everybody, a, a lot of people in my Facebook timeline were like, yes, the hip hop savior spoke about Donald mm -hmm. Trump. And I was like, that was kind of whack. <laughs> I didn't hear it, so I couldn't tell you. It wasn't it wasn't even good. Eminem has never been somebody who who was there to make this really smart, articulate political comment about the world i feel like he's always adjusted to how the world was sort of moving before he would make that statement he's no colin kaepernick right and, right and he doesn't have to be he's just a rapper but it's like people so desperately want him to be this person and i'm just like i've been listening to this guy for 23 years or whatever and i just don't think he's that person Right. He's not that person. But it goes back to, I want to say Martin Lawrence said this back in the day, 
Martin Lawrence or Chris Rock or one of those guys was always like, society is always pulling for the great white hope. Yeah. Rocky Marciano was the best boxer of all time. Or Eminem is the best rapper of all time for a lot of heterosexual white males, a lot of gay white men, a lot of white women, actually. They're always just looking for a great white hope because whether they are blatantly uh, racist or subliminally racist, it's very hard for them to see a Serena Williams, right? Or a Barack Obama or a Colin Kaepernick or LeBron James. It's why Steve Nash won those two MVPs 15, 20 years ago. In certain situations, when a white person is just as good as the non-white people, the white person then gets elevated to a level above the non-white people because they want a savior. They want to say, hey, we're still in the game. We haven't completely been taken over by by the quote-unquote others yet. I've saved this take because I wanted to have this conversation with you, but you brought him up. Chris Rock. <laughs> Chris Rock and Will Smith at the Oscars. I have not heard the take of what I'm about to say okay. by anybody. And I, you know, I've heard some discourse about it. You read Will Smith's book. Yeah. Will Smith tried so desperately to be the open and honest, evolving human being, kind of like what we're talking about. I feel like we could have this conversation with Will Smith that we're talking about, that we're having right now. From your lips to God's ears, Garrett. <laughs> Will, call me. I, I had the Girls Ain't Nothing But Trouble single back in the day. I've been, I've been, I've been a fan for, for a long time. So, so in that book, his biography, there is, there is a theme that exists throughout this book that I have not heard anybody talk about, which is he, growing up, he saw his father abuse his mother. Yes. And he felt like a coward for his entire life because he never stepped up to his pops. And yep. let's fa- now let's fast forward to the current Will Smith. And he puts this information out. This book is out there. This is his feelings. At the end of the book, he talks about the, the what is it, ayahuasca? Is that, yes. Is that what it's called? Where he's yes. doing that, and that's all for his own enlightenment as well, right? He's trying to build a, a better human being. Right. He's in the public, obviously, so we get to hear about his his marriage with, with, with Jada, which it's probably a little different from other marriages, but this is something that you have a an expertise upon in, in the yeah. relationship that they may have with each other. Yeah. It's not conventional, so it is completely open to jokes it's completely right. open to stand-up materials he is also a meme right he is a meme with the crying will smith face from right. from that that moment on uh, with jada so all of those things i feel like add up to chris rock making this joke about his wife and in that moment he is seven-year-old william jr who feels like a coward for not stepping up and defending his mom. Like that, that is a a point that I have not heard anybody talk about, but I feel like that is a a very large point about what happened. Unfortunately for Chris, he was the the recipient because I feel like the real recipient should have been his pops. That's who he was really angry with. 
but I haven't right. heard anybody say that. And and it I have heard me, that. Okay, okay. So, so I have I, heard I, that. But take. but it didn't seem like a lot of people read his book to really understand where he was at this point. Nah, you know, I thought a lot about that situation. It hit me a certain way for a variety of reasons. I hit it's probably the wrong word choice, but it. I think I think there there's a few things to discuss as a result of what happened. I think there's definitely a piece of it that saw somebody that he loves dearly was being abused and he wanted to stand up. I think he's been the nice guy slash whipping boy for 35 years. And I think that despite all of the success that he's had, and he's really made a career out of being the nice dude, I think that weighs on you, especially being a black man and just kind of having to be everything to everybody. Cannot um, make a mistake if you are Right, you cannot Smith. make a mistake. The cultural conversation around Will has intensified in the last couple of years because of the nature of his relationship with Jada, because of his kids, because people think he's a Scientologist or because uh, whatever. Well, you know, I okay, think- okay, so let, let's go back right. to when we were growing up. The rumor was that he was gay. That was the rumor when we were. Well, the rumor was that they both were gay. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a celebrity that comes with the territory. His whole thing was I wanted to be the the most professional and the best celebrity, you know, out there. And that that was kind of his goal. Right. But yeah, continue. I I cut you off, but I just want to make that point because that's what we had heard when we were younger. And, uh, you know, what it kind of led to, I like he snapped. And I put myself in those shoes. I empathize. And I'm like, man, if I was Will Smith, I would have snapped 15 years ago. Yeah. To get to that moment and then have Chris Rock, who's supposed to be your homeboy. And there's a whole other conversation about comedians using insults as humor, which isn't really something that I'm down with. We should have evolved past that point already. But he broke he snapped and i can't say that if i was in his situation that i you know will smacked him i might have gone up there and punched him i don't condone violence under any circumstance but i grew up in the hood i grew up hitting motherfuckers and it would be really really hard for somebody to say something about someone that i love particularly due to a medical condition that this loved one has and not really have to sit with my feelings and fight the urge to act in a violent manner towards this person. Chris Rock famously has a stand-up bit where he goes through the OJ scenario, and and the punchline is, I don't condone it, but I understand. I understand it, yes, yes. And and I feel like that has come back to bite him in the butt because he probably understands very well right now. And and of all people, Will Smith is not the one that you would think that he would have to pay for, for a joke. But that, that whole thing, I was heartbroken. I am such a fan of both dudes and to see them on that stage, which the, the Oscars was going to be and kind of still was a celebration of Will Smith. Like that's what that show was about. Right. And on his biggest night 
to be triggered in that way and not be able to hold it one more time, it really ruined it for him. And now he's out of the academy and 10 years and blah, 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 blah. Right. But I was heartbroken because it was like, imagine us in our careers finally being celebrated on our night. And that was the moment that we broke. I mean, he is human. So I'm not saying that, come on, Will, you had one more night. You could have broke the next day. It it just happened. But what was heartbreaking to me was these two guys on this stage. And that's what we resorted to rather than a a, a conversation or a, a, hey, Chris, um, don't do these fucking jokes, dude. Like, (laughs) enough. I, I, I get it, but. I'm I'm kind of bothered tonight, you know. Right. No one wants to see, yeah, people that they've grown up admiring, and I I don't admire Will any less, by the way. People that you have a lot of respect for go out like that. Yeah, yeah. And- My little brother was like, Will should have just waited until he got backstage <laughs> and knocked Chris out there. Is <laughs> it, it is interesting though, right? Like how. The different friends that I have, some of it is Facebook, obviously. That, that's where all the yeah. takes are, all the immediate hot takes that people have. They throw them up on Facebook or yeah. Twitter. But the different groups that I'm in, and some people were like, oh, Will should go to jail. Shit. I'm like, the fuck? Donald Trump is not in jail. <laughs> like, right. you're going to hold what Will did in the same regard, you know, as really bad people. But on the other hand, there were people like you who were like, I really empathize with what happened to him. And it's not about that moment. It's not about the slapping. It's about the emotional reaction, the emotional baggage, the things that have happened in his life. We can look into those things and go, I I understand what happened here. And I think a lot of people don't care that enough to do that. So that's where we got some of the other reactions that probably uh, made some folks angry. But like I said, I've been, I've been a fan of Will Smith going back to like 1986. So that's a long yeah, relationship. Man. And I've watched the ups and the downs. So I've been, you know, and with Rock, I think, gosh, I w- we would have had to gone back to a New Jack City. Was there anything before New Jack City with Rock? There were a couple of things, but New Jack City was really his breakout. And then, you know, and then first time most right after that. Yeah. And New Jack City, Boomerang, and then, he, you know, SNL. And that kind of led to the rest of his career. All right, so last thing, and we'll get off here, and maybe we'll come back sooner, yeah, man. sooner than later because I, I want to yes. some, some, continue more of this. Okay. Follow up while it's hot. What is your first childhood memory? Oh, my God. What is my first childhood memory? My first childhood memory, and this is fuzzy for many reasons, but I was born three months premature, but was a very sickly child. I spent a lot of time in the hospital the first year and a half, two years of my life. And I remember having this other kid, baby, I guess, named JP, who was, I guess, my first real friend, this little white kid that I I met in Bellevue Hospital. And I remember him and his dad. And I remember that JP died. And I must have been, I couldn't have been any more than like three at that point. Mm -hmm. I was two or three. And it was the first experience that I ever had with death. But I remember him. I think somewhere in my family, there are still pictures of me with him or me with his dad. And that might be the very, very first memory that I have. I think my first memory is like around 
four years old or whatever. And it is not a, like a, you know, this is an important day in my life kind of thing. I can remember being at a park or something. But Mm -hmm. I, I was wondering about memories and the one that we remember, because I'm sure that we may be able to go even a little bit further back, but for whatever reason, this one singular one reminds us, uh, is the one that we continue to think about. You have these scientists studying things and biology of human beings. I wonder what the first age is of something that we could actually remember into adulthood because some people like you have this really jarring thing happen to them Right. And that's literally the day you're born in your brain, right? Right. And for me, it's some random park I was at. <laughs> so so I, I just kind of wonder, what is the difference between your memory, why you remember it, and my memory, while I remember it? Like, and I actually don't know which one came first, but I can also remember running outside and maybe not supposed to have run outside and a bunch <laughs> of chaos around me bringing me back in. But I, you know, But the first memory like you where it's that first thing, that first crazy thing that happened in, in your young life, was uh, I got rolled over uh, on a, by a car like on Ooh. when I was like four years old. Broken collarbone and Ooh. probably had a concussion or something. I remember that, but I think that is after the other two memories for whatever reason. I feel like trauma will impact you more deeply than a non-traumatic incident. Another, to lighten it up a little bit, one other memory I remember is that we had a copy of Do You Think I'm Sexy by Rod Stewart on 45. (laughs) And and we had a cat. And I remember I was sitting with my uncle and we were playing records and I hit the cat with the record and broke it. (laughs) Wow. Which animal cruelty is not something to make fun of. But I mean, a three-year-old can't really do a lot of damage to a cat. Yeah. but that is probably the second thing that I remember. But, you know, I do think that trauma impacts the brain, particularly young brains, more directly or, or more, what's the word that I'm looking for, more intensely than non-traumatic stuff does. Okay, so let's end there. But the reason why I thought about that, mm-hmm. you and I, we, we talk, we podcast, but if you ever wrote a biography, autobiography, <laughs> Up until that moment that you just thought about right now of Mm -hmm. your first memory, every other beginning of that autobiography has to come from somebody else's story about you. Yeah, that's true. That's wild to to me, right? Yeah, my mom or my dad. And if we don't have those people... We just wouldn't know. Like we just, oh, we're yeah, we just born one day, and this is what happens. So I, that that's also fascinating to me is where our own origin story starts, and who we get that information from. And to circle all the way back to the beginning about the memories, mm-hmm. that memory might be different actually mm-hmm. from what happened. Yep, and it's just crazy that we live this life, and I'm all about research, and I'm reporting stuff, and I, I get the the skinny on certain stories, and. I don't really know. I'd have to ask my parents, but I don't really know my own origin story necessarily that well. So that right. kind of goes back to the memory thing that that I kicked off this show with, remembering something 20 years ago. Like, what is the right story? Is there a right story? Does anyone there, have any record of what the right story is? Right. And that's the thing. There isn't a right story. I mean, you know my history. If 
I could sit my mom and my dad and my aunts and uncles in a room and be like, when, how was I born? I would get six different answers. Yeah. And all of those answers are true to the people who are telling me yes. this information. When it, it goes back to what we said about everybody has their truth, which may or may not actually be the truth. Yeah. I like having these conversations because it's it, it, it's not like necessarily topical, like you and I going, oh, what happened in music last right. week or whatever. But I feel like what you've done with this podcast allows people to go into emotions and feelings that they probably don't think about on a daily basis, especially Absolutely. us as as male, male human beings. And so I can talk about this stuff with you. And it's not necessarily anything I think about talking with other people at, at any other part of the day. So I think this is a good space for it. I agree. I agree, man. I really, well, really appreciate my man, Garrett, taking some time out of his busy, busy schedule and uh, sitting down with me. It's always a pleasure when we catch up, whether it's on mic or off mic. Uh, Garrett is one of my favorite people in the world. And if you want to get to know more about him, you can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Roheblius. That is R-O-H-E-B-L-I-U-S. And you can also find his work at fightgamemedia.com. It's a full network with podcasts about wrestling and MMA and boxing and basketball. And I got to admit that I do miss some of his pop culture writing, but sports is his thing way more than it is mine. And uh, he definitely shines at what he does. And I also want to thank him for just teaching me about the importance of community. Over the course of the last 20 years, uh, he has taught me quite a bit, not even directly, a lot of it has been by example about building and maintaining a community, and he does it so well in various uh, forms and features. So once again, Double G, thank you so much for taking the time out to do this podcast a second time, and I hope that we don't have to wait 97 or 98 episodes to do this a third time. I think there's a lot still on the table to discuss, and if you think of a topic that you want, you being the public, sorry, if you think of a topic that me and Double G should discuss, then uh, hit us up and uh, maybe we'll talk about it. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Detoxicity Podcast. My name is Mike Joseph. Once again, if you want to find me online, hit me up on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy. I'm on Twitter intermittently at TizMikeJoseph. You can go to Facebook.com slash Detoxicity. You can email me detoxpod at gmail.com love to hear constructive criticism love to hear feedback would love if you are a potential guest or you know somebody who you think would be a potential guest please by all means reach out to me and remember if you enjoy this podcast subscribe rate comment do all of the things necessary to push this podcast up in the podcast rankings and get this into as many ears as possible tell a friend do whatever it is you need to do and uh, thank you once again for listening. I personally want to thank the following people for their support. Uh, Calvin Williams and Jacob Block, Jeff Giles, and Andrew Grossman. Thank you very much. I hope all of you stay well, stay safe, and healthy. Until next time.